Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Journey to Grateful podcast. This is a podcast focused on helping us understand the process of loss and grief with the help of those who are living it. I'm your host, Tim Begonia, and this is show number 58. Through this show, you and I will both examine the details we've discovered during our grief journey. We will share our experiences, the good and the not so good, through this podcast, the blog, and on social, while building a community that desires a more open understanding of what grief is, how it affects us all, and how best to navigate its difficult path. Be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find all the links to do both over at journeytograteful.com. Now, if you like what you are hearing in the show, please share an episode and the podcast with someone you know who could benefit a community that understands the path they are currently on. In today's episode, I will discuss specifics about grief, which, unless you are months or years into your loss, you might not be aware This episode is perfect for you if you are new to loss and hope to better anticipate what is in front of you on your journey. It is also perfect if you are trying to support someone who is on their grief journey and you'd like to better understand what they are dealing with on a daily basis. And lastly, if you are deep into your journey with grief and you just need to hear affirmation of some of the things you are experiencing yourself, you want to know you are not alone. This episode and the entire Journey to Grateful podcast is made for you. I've titled this episode, The Weirdness of Grief, partially because of a post I discovered on Facebook and partially because it best explains the untold truths of the nooks and the crannies of grief. It's time to dive in, so grab a comfortable chair or secure your shoelaces for your walk because we're going to get into some interesting details. As I said, I discovered a post on Facebook by Amy Boardman Reimer, which struck me as such an honest and unexpected post that I'm pretty certain that most of you may not know this specific detail about grief unless you are months and months into it yourself. For you, my friend, who is just getting your footing in this new life with grief, I hope these shared experiences will help you better understand what's ahead of you. For my friends who are here to better understand what another friend is going through each and every day with their new life surrounded by grief, I trust this will provide insights into the honest, typically untold details of what happens inside our minds while on this journey. Believe me when I say one of the worst things about grief is what goes on in your mind and in your thoughts. So I think it's best for me to just simply share with you the post in the manner I discovered it and let it speak for itself. Again, this was written by Amy Boardman Reimer. She begins very simply. Before I begin, this post is not seeking sympathy, she writes. It merely is trying to shed a light on the total weirdness and unpredictability of grief. Those who have experienced deep loss already know. But for those who have not, I washed the orange cup today. The orange cup is not a metaphor. It's a small plastic cup, one of several in a multicolored set. It is perfect for the bathroom sink. It's just big enough for a sip of water in the middle of the night or to wash down daily meds. 
I had not washed it since before January 1st. Now, before you get grossed out, I had not used it either. You see, that little orange cup is the last thing in the house that Mark's lips touched on January 1st. Before he was loaded into an ambulance, never to return. I have picked up the orange cup several times before, thinking it was time to wash it and put it away. But each time, it wasn't. I would hug that little cup, cry a little or a lot, and return it to the counter next to the sink. It wasn't time to wash it. Until today. Today, I washed the cup. Now, when my mother died, her bathrobe was hanging on the back of the door in the bathroom. When my dad died five years later, it still hung in the same spot. He had given away or tossed a lot of mom's items, but just not that bathrobe. Had he lived another ten years, I think it may still have been there. Or maybe not. Deep, profound grief is just weird. So keep that in mind when you wonder why grieving people do or don't do what you think that they should do or what seems normal. Grief is really weird. They're just not ready to wash the cup. I love that post that Amy wrote. This post is refreshingly authentic. It's raw and it's honest with an insight of the specifics of grief you might not be aware of if you are not the one walking this path. The orange cup, although now for me it will always be an analogy, it's just an orange cup, but with so much meaning that it's difficult to truly express it accurately. But Amy did. She did just that. She did such a wonderful job of doing just that. For me, I connected with this post immediately, because if you don't know it yet, washing the orange cup happens countless times in the months immediately following death. In addition, the bathrobe hits home for me, very specifically. You see, I'm pretty sure none of my friends or family know this, but my wife's robe right now is still hanging on the back of our bathroom door. Why? If I'm being truthful, I'm really not sure. I'm sure it would make more sense if I hadn't yet cleaned out her closet or removed anything of hers at this time, but I have. So why the bathrobe? Why that specific item? I'm sure there are many professionals listening right now saying, I could explain this one without breaking a sweat. It's obvious. But to me... It's not quite that obvious, because the bathrobe doesn't hold a huge nostalgic place in my heart. Or maybe it does, and I'm just simply not allowing myself to fully understand it yet. And it's not as though I consciously look at it, caress it, or specifically go into the bathroom, close the door so that I can view it. It's just there. Maybe it's a comfort thing. Maybe it's a not fully wanting to let go thing. Maybe I somehow consider it to be the last thing, and I just can't toss the last thing. But a bathrobe, that specific item being that special to me, it's just not the case. That's that's not the reason. At least I don't believe so right now. Two plus years after my loss. But someday I might understand. Or maybe I won't. 
So Amy's post brings up a lot of hidden secrets of grief, which I believe not everyone is aware. Specifically, the weird things we hold on to, covet, or simply choose not to change just yet. Clothing seems to be the more obvious one. In my bereavement group, I know of a wonderful guy, I believe it's been two years past the loss of his wife, and he's never removed any of her clothes yet. Now I need to point out that there is not a right way or a wrong way to do grief. Someone might begin the closet cleaning ritual within weeks, others it might take years. And for my friends who are new to loss, you need to understand that that is okay. That is absolutely normal, and there is no timetable for things like that. And if someone is trying to say there is, please take it as them wanting to help in whatever way that they feel that they can, but explain to them you must do that when you are ready. You need to understand whatever works for you is good enough. No other explanation is needed. There is no place in grief for thinking you must do this or it's time to do that. It's your grief on your schedule your way. When it comes to cleaning out closets, however, it it might be the most visual or talked about detail connected to a perceived timetable related to grief, so many people will focus on that. My wife Colleen passed July of 2020. Her closet was a small converted bedroom, a nursery in fact, which many years ago we converted into a closet, outfitting it with cabinets and rods. It wasn't until January of 2021, six months after her loss, that I asked her sisters if they would come to help my daughter and I go through her clothing, clean out her closet. For myself, and my daughter for that matter, it was time. We had discussed it months earlier and had agreed that after the holidays might be a good time to take on that project. I recall that day easily. We all seemed to have the same attitude of our project at hand. It was going to be difficult, but it was necessary and something we could get through together. And we did, with some tears, some laughter, a few comments about why does she have so many of this or that. One of her sisters, who was two years younger than Colleen, had decided without informing me that she would take all the bagged clothes and get them donated. Each bag was taken directly to her car, and at the end of that unpleasant task, I had only the room and some files to deal with. Thanks to her, I didn't have the secondary task of finding a home for her clothes. I can't express how priceless that one gesture was, and I will always be grateful for her taking that on. Additionally, the weirdness of grief can also be mundane events, like washing that cup, which you don't initially suspect would be weird or a struggle, and yet they are. Just last week, in fact, I was on a mission to replace our dish towels in the kitchen. It became a thing for me quite suddenly. I was dealing with a dish towel that needed to be washed when I realized it had perhaps filled its purpose for us and just needed to go, which expanded to all the towels in the cabinet as well as the oven mitts that had seen much better days. The mitts, in my opinion, were years past their prime. So it became a mission. I was on a hunt for the new dish towels. Certainly weird. I mean, it was a full-fledged mission. I searched Amazon, but really, I should be able to see them in person, I thought, touch them and feel them and get a sense of their size and the material. How about Bed Bath & Beyond? They had 
some different choices, but just wasn't quite sure. It wasn't quite right. Dish towels and other mitts for crying out loud. It was a multiple day decision with multiple stores involved. But I selected new towels, no dishcloths. I hate dishcloths. It's a personal thing. Don't judge. And I found matching oven mitts that were not those full mitts. I can never quite easily get my hands into those full mitts that go a quarter of the way up your arm. So clearly that's a first world problem as well. And there you have it, the weirdness of grief. Strange things that suddenly become important, more important than they have any right to be, but more important in that moment nonetheless. And let me tell you, although tossing the well-worn towels was a bit liberating, I'd hate to admit how long I hovered over the garbage can before I let them drop. It's just weird. So at this point, I'm sure someone out there is likely asking out loud, have you removed your wedding ring? How did that go? And I have. And again, it's a personal choice. And if you are five years into your loss and still have yours on, more power to you. And make sure you keep that ring on until it's time for you. Or maybe if it's never time for you. That decision is yours and yours alone. For me, several months after the loss of Colleen, I somehow decided I might want to remove it on the one-year anniversary of her passing. It wasn't a long, hard thought. It was just one of those days when several thoughts about my loss were randomly rolling in and out of my head. Now, I'm sure those of you who are on your grief journey can understand what I mean when I say thoughts about my loss were randomly rolling in and out of my head. But for those who don't get it, let me explain. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of thoughts surrounding grief. Our loss, the last days of your loved one, the days ahead of us, the unbelievable feeling of it all, the past, our memories, good and bad, etc., etc., that roll in and out of your head on any given day for any given reason. Sometimes it's overwhelming. But most days, many thoughts are there and they aren't debilitating, but they just tend to still fill your head. So when I say it was one of those days when random thoughts were rolling in and out of my head, that's what I'm referring to. And removing my ring was one of those many thoughts that particular day. So on the one-year anniversary of Colleen's death, I was in Disney World, our happy place, a place that holds great meaning and wonderful memories for us. Months earlier, the kids and I decided that that was where we needed to be for the one-year anniversary. We invited one of Colleen's sisters and one of my sisters to get away with us and help celebrate Colleen. I woke early that day. I dressed and I went for a walk alone. We were staying at Bay Lake Tower, part of the Contemporary Resort. The very same resort I had taken a knee on a warm, moonlit Florida night back in 2004. I strolled by the same beach where I had first placed a ring on Colleen's finger. Remembering the warm air, the glow of the lights from the contemporary resort, the sound of the water lapping on the shore that night so long ago. So that morning, I then walked out to the end of the boat dock, just on the side of that particular beach, and I turned and gazed at the resort once again, noting the blue sky and the memories that were filling my head. 
And at that moment, I realized I had been twirling my ring. I looked down, amazed at how comforting it was. I slowly twisted it past my knuckle until it came fully off. It took a while as it had never, ever been off for nearly 16 years. There was no fanfare. No one knew what I was doing. Just me. Just the ring. And my memories. This place, this moment, and it was done. So yes, I've taken off my ring. I've finally found it normal again not to have one on. And that took a while. And I will always remember where and when I chose to do that. And I know Colleen was by my side when I did. And so the weirdness of grief continues even further with somewhat similar impactful changes, such as the day I suddenly needed a change. I needed something to be different, not just the way I felt, but my surroundings. At the time, I believe we were winding down fall last year and about to start thinking about Christmas and everything that would entail. You know, the needing to dig deep and commit to decorating as we always had. We had somehow decided it would be do us good to host Christmas last year and to force ourselves to decorate and not leave Christmas behind, which would have been very easy to do for the second Christmas without Colleen. So there I was, I needed more to change, and through several discussions with our daughter Karen, we decided to remove the dining room table and do something different in that space. It wasn't an off-the-wall thought, since Colleen and I had similar discussions for years prior. You see, we never really used the dining room table for much more than a puzzle or a catch-all surface that just simply got messy. So we had several discussions of possibly a game table or a sitting area. We chose to create a reading nook sitting area situation, one that would extend the gathering space of the adjacent living room, the traditional L shape of a mid-60s colonial. We moved around some better-sized chairs from the family room to the new reading nook, and I began shopping for accessories and tables and lamps and another chair. A project, I suppose, that was just what I needed was a project at the time but for a more specific reason than just simply change for change's sake. To be painfully obvious, you see, that space was where we had set up the bed for Colleen when we engaged in-home hospice. And now that the dining room table was back, it reminded me more of how much Colleen and I had initially wanted to change that space many years earlier, and it just seemed like it was a good time to actually do that. It was more of a need. Call it psychological or therapeutic. The change was needed. To this day, it was the right thing to do. And it's now a space we use far more often than we ever did before. Allowing us to still feel what we need to feel there when necessary. But to not avoid it as a space that seems to be off limits because of what it once was. I guess ultimately, that's not as much as a weird grief thing as it is just a necessary action to help us through our grief. The weirdness of grief can also come out in common things such as rearranging furniture, cooking meals your loved one didn't care for, removing a furniture piece you've never liked, or paint. Yeah, I said paint. The sudden need to paint a wall or a room, and yes, I had that experience as well, a couple of times. 
Odd that it seems to always come out as a sudden something, isn't it? So in under two years, I painted out a red accent wall and our entire bedroom. Almost painted the kitchen and adjacent area, but that's on the to-do list for a later time. So let me be clear. Each paint job was needed to change no matter the life-changing experience that had occurred. But nonetheless, it is tied to the weirdness of grief, the manner in which we, or I specifically at the time, handled grief. In a manner of speaking, it's usually based on choosing a thing you can control, since there was something so out of control that got you in that position. But it doesn't all need to be a large change. It can be small or as seemingly insignificant as washing the orange cup. For instance, the complete clean-out of our bathroom cabinet. Again, I'm going to say something that I felt at the time, and it might sound a bit strange. But it was done without fanfare or anyone knowing. Now, why do I keep saying that? Because somehow, although I, I know it doesn't make sense, when you are doing something like this after loss, it feels like it should have some recognition, some ceremony about it. Because to you, it feels significant, no matter how small. And I know that's the silliest thing to feel about a bathroom cabinet or washing an orange cup or painting a wall. But it's another weirdness of close personal loss. And I suspect many of you get what I'm saying here. Almost anything I've touched since the loss of Colleen that resembled change in my house or as part of my life so far has made me feel there should have been a bit more to it than the simple act of doing it. Does that make sense? I say this all fully aware that at the same time I know it would be strange, and it is not needed, that fanfare. But that change, the feeling I have when doing those things, is real. So for those entering their first month or first holiday since the passing of your loved one, understand one thing. Everything you are dealing with, large, small, obvious, or strange, someone else has dealt with it too. Those thoughts rolling aimlessly around your head last night as you tried to get some sleep, been there, done that, and they will come and go for quite a while. I still have those moments, a bit less than last year but I still have them. And just as importantly for those of you who are trying to understand what your friend, perhaps your family member, is going through, there you have it. A bit of insight as to the weirdness of grief and its inconsistent hold on your thoughts and your feelings and at times, actions. If you wonder why someone going through grief is doing this or that because it just doesn't seem to make sense to you, Try to see it from their point of view, with their thoughts, with their fears, with the quiet moments they find themselves in to ponder alone. Understand that they may be obsessing over a small, insignificant thing, but it is anything but small or insignificant to them in that moment. It's the glancing at the bathrobe hanging on the back of the bathroom door each and every night, silently saying to themselves, why is it still there? Maybe tomorrow. Or grabbing the orange cup, 
about to wash it, yet placing it back to wait for the right day. Somehow today just isn't it. Understand that maybe, just maybe, it's too soon for them to clear out a closet, or a drawer, or a box. Not because they are not aware it needs to be done, or that it's been six months or six years, but because for them, time has seemed to stand still. Maybe you'll see now it's just the weirdness of grief, and you'll know deep down it's really okay, because it's normal, and it's their grief to live. Thank you again for joining me on Journey to Grateful Podcast. I'm so thankful that you have been here each and every week. Please stop by the community and let your voice be heard. Share your story or ask questions. I'm glad to help if I possibly can. Head on over to journeytograteful.com slash community to access our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram, request to become a guest on the podcast, or contribute to the blog with your story. While you're on the site, sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter designed to provide you inspiration and motivation through your grief. Also, I invite you to connect with me via email at tim at journeytograteful.com. More importantly, give me a call, leave me a voicemail, and be on the show by telling me how you deal with the weirdness of grief. You can call 262-298-2428. That's 262-298-CHAT. Or if you would rather, you can text that number. Share with me your weirdness of grief. And lastly, I ask if you like the show, please share the podcast with a friend. Take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. It goes a very long way to help this podcast get in front of those who need it. You can go to journeytograteful.com and choose the Leave a Review button on the homepage or the podcast page. Now, to end today's episode, I believe I discovered a quote that says so much in such a little space with honesty and impact, truly words to grieve by. This is by Sarah Dessen, and she writes, Grieving doesn't make you imperfect. It makes you human. I cannot stress enough how important it is to to know and understand that sentiment. To grieve is to be human. By all means, please be human. Give yourself permission, embrace it, and grow through it. I'd also like to share with you a review from one of my wonderful listeners. I so appreciate you giving me your time to listen and learn through this podcast. So thank you for that, and thank you so much for reviewing the podcast. This comes from... NYC Dreamer 9. Tim and his guests share openly and vulnerably about their grief journeys in this beautiful show. I am so grateful to Tim for creating this podcast and sharing so openly about his grief journey. I have no doubt that everyone who listens to this podcast will benefit from it, either in relating to the grief experience or understanding better how grief affects others in their lives. Thank you so much, NYC Dreamer 9. I appreciate the sentiment and the review, and I hope that many others walk away with the exact same feeling from the show that you did. So thank you. And thank you again, my friends, for joining me today. 
Let me know your thoughts on today's specific episode or any previous episodes. And for those who are walking on their path with grief, I hope you find a way to walk confidently on your journey to grateful. Bye-bye.